from Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we move into the year of our Lord, 2024, uh, just about a month away from uh, the beginning of Lent. Ash Wednesday this year is uh, on St. Valentine's Day, February the 14th, uh, a, a, a sort of an odd coincidence of the, our religious and uh, uh, <laughs> the rest of the world, but uh, be that as it may, we'll, we'll get into discussing Lent a little uh, down the road a little bit, but that, again, just mark your calendars. That is Ash Wednesday, February the 14th. This indeed is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, and we're glad right now to welcome in Deacon Bill Gakey, who is the uh, Detention Ministry Coordinator for the Diocese of Sacramento out of the Office of Catholic Charities and Social Concerns. Deacon, good day to you. Good morning, Bob, or afternoon, I guess now. Yeah, but we're, we're just over the, the, the international dateline here. I think we, we, we got into the afternoon. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, tell us, first off, just give us a, a thumbnail, an overview of the diocese and the detention ministry, what, what that means and what it involves. Well, as, as people would probably guess, it's not detention after schools, even, even though my office is the diocese and my, my desk is close to them, but yeah, <laughs> we, we deal with um, those that are incarcerated around the diocese. Most of that means the, the state prisons and the county jails and whatever we can do to provide uh, our Catholic experience to them. Um, yeah, to basically we have six prisons, and uh, each county has a jail, although some of the counties combine together with local other local facilities so that there may be uh, less less than the 20 that we have, 20 counties, we don't have 20 jails to go to. But, you know, we, and we provide uh, some leadership. We, we uh provide what we can for training for our volunteers to go in and, and provide the Catholic uh, spiritual experience and, and ministerial support. So is there a difference in the type of ministry between county jails and, uh, you know, uh, like Folsom Prison or uh, Pelican Bay or any of those places? Yes, Bob, that would mainly be because uh, at a state prison, a person <clears throat> has actually uh, been sentenced, and so they're going to have a longer time in there. Those where you hear about somebody being there for a number of years, where the, the jails, for the most part, they're uh, awaiting trial and sentencing. Um, some of them might have short terms that they serve, and some of the counties have auxiliary facilities, such as in Sacramento. You know, we have the, the downtown main jail, but there's also real consumness uh, facilities. So some people with shorter terms uh, after their trial, could uh, serve serve time there at R Triple C. So yeah, that. But for the most part, a, a jail jail is going to be much shorter time spent. So a, a different ministry involved. Do we have uh, ministries for uh, youth that are incarcerated? Uh, yes, uh, it, it's not as big. Of course, that's been going through changes uh, recently because the the state has reduced their uh, division of juvenile justice. In fact, I don't believe we have a uh, state facility for juvenile justice or it might be closing now. And so all that work was sent out to the county. So Sacramento County did receive um, more of those that, that would have 
sentences uh, officially under the probation title rather than uh, the other incarceration. But uh, yeah, so so youth are served uh, down to I believe the early teens um, and up and up until they're anywhere between 18 and 25, they could still be uh, under the the youth uh, mm-hmm. probation facilities. Are there any federal facilities in uh, the diocese? We have some uh, federal detainees, but they would be held uh, more within current facilities that are either count or county or state. And those would be people awaiting trial? Right. So that's how we serve them, uh, is that they're, they're just part of, of these other two systems. Um, we don't have an official ministry into any federal facilities, although there there is a facility up uh, right at the corner uh, uh, near a High Desert uh, Prison, uh, and some of our chaplains have been able to help out at that facility. I believe it's right on the border between Nevada and, and California. Yeah, that's up in Susanville. Right. Yeah, so we have 20 counties. Uh, do we have 20 county jails, or do some of the smaller counties combine? Correct. Yeah, they they would combine. So we don't have a, a, a specific ministry leadership uh, in each of those those counties. It's it's more like a about twelve of the counties have a big enough ministry presence that our, our Catholics uh, provide a leader and uh, and some coordination of our, our volunteers that go in. Is the the Catholic population in in prisons in California basically reflective of the society as a whole in terms of numbers, et cetera? That's what I found, yes. Uh, from I've worked with Youth Authority all the way up to the state prisons, and it, it's it's about in that 20 to 30 percent range, although uh, I'm not practicing as much, so you'll find that someone coming to confession uh, in the state prison that may be closer to that, you know, five, 10 year, 20 year mark uh, that the priest encounters rather than somebody who mm-hmm. might've been more, more recently receiving the sacraments. So uh, yes, there, as far as baptized Catholics go, that that's probably the case, the same as the population, but of course not, not practicing as much and, and probably more of a mixture uh, back and forth between the evangelical uh, Protestant faith. So. So do do you find, uh, it sounds like you do, you find a lot of people that maybe have fallen away, and and this is a, a, a an interesting uh, but fortuitous opportunity for them to get back to the faith? Yes. In fact, a lot of our volunteers will find that. You know, they might go in to have a, a just a, a Bible study. It might be billed as the Christian Bible study for the institution, maybe run by, by Catholics specifically. Um, but yeah, and we'll find people coming back to the faith that uh, they they realize that they 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 had gone astray, or or they were just you know maybe raised uh, they baptized Catholic, but raised in a in one of the Protestant uh, denominations. So yeah, it's, it's quite a variety that we run into. Are there any re- legal restrictions on you uh, and and detention ministers in general, whether they're Catholic or or of you know other faiths? Uh, in terms, in terms of what the state allows you to do and and says you can't do. Well, we're we're not uh, not really allowed or supposed to proselytize specifically into any any religious faith. So so basically, our service needs to be open to anyone, um, and and so we we adopt for that. We realize that not everybody's going to be able uh, eligible to have communion. 
not everybody is going to come from a Catholic perspective. We have programs uh, like the Bridges to Life. I think I've talked about that with you before, mm-hmm. where uh, it doesn't have to be a Catholic participant, sure. even though it was made from a Catholic perspective. And they're going to hear a lot about Catholicism, but in order to pass that 13 week program, they don't have to become Catholic or, and we can't, you know, make that a distinction there. So what, what are the most uh, difficult or challenging parts of, of being on your end of the detention ministry? Um, well, it start, starts with just getting people in. Uh, I think some people uh, lose heart when they want to volunteer in detention ministry because it takes so much longer, so much more effort to get cleared, mm-hmm. go through the security clearances to, to get in. It's surprising how hard it is to get into jail. But uh, yeah, jails and prisons, it, it can be quite a process. Uh, once a person's in, um, it's a matter of uh, keeping up with the scheduling because the, there could be anything happening with an institution that could shut down or, or change you know, a program. We might have to stop halfway through a mass or a Bible study or rosary just because something happened out on the yard. Right. Um, so the, those kinds of things, just getting used to that environment. It's, uh, it's like stepping into a foreign country. I think I, I've heard that in a lot of volunteer trainings that you got to consider you're going under a situation like martial law. So it's mm-hmm. like going to another country and learning a, a different language in a way as to you know, how they, they convey uh, what the requirements are in those facilities. Yeah, I, I remember the, the several times. So once when I was a college student and doing sort of quote unquote legal counseling in a, in a prison in Vacaville and then also uh, being invited down a few times to, <laughs> believe it or not, referee the annual uh, football game among inmates. Um, and there were there were a lot of instructions before I went in. <laughs> yes, a lot to do. And that, and that can be a little disheartening. Sometimes it's hard for some, especially like we, we're really pushing to get a lot of our priests available. But it's it's just part of their job, you know, especially when they're already running a parish or, or going around doing a lot of things and trying to get their clearance going. We do as much as we can to help them get through the, the security process and to get them scheduled when they can be there. Um, but, of course, you know, things get canceled a lot, uh, so we may want them to come in for confessions or mass and then find out it can't happen mm-hmm. uh, right up to the moment of, uh, well, and, and I'll tell you that even in the state prisons where we have a, a paid chaplain, uh, Father uh, Gomez in, in Folsom pretty regularly tells me how, how he has things scheduled, and then all of a sudden there's there's a fog line or there's there's something going on in the yard where they, they have to cancel even a special mass you know, with bishops, so. So a, a paid chaplain is actually a, a, a state employee. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So I mentioned the Father Gomez. Uh, we also have priests that are paid chaplains in Vacaville, both the uh, the medical facility and the Solano uh, prison. Um, we have a, a layman that's a paid chaplain in what we call New Folsom or, or CSP Sacramento. That's the neighboring facility to Folsom State Prison. And then up in Susanville, we have a layman, and then we have a deacon that's the chaplain uh, paid in uh, at Mule Creek State Prison in Iowa. And is that, are there paid chaplains in a lot of faiths? Um, the primary, primarily, at least in the state prisons, it's uh, Catholic, Protestant, uh, Jewish, which may not be full-time uh, as far as a rabbi goes, usually a full-time uh, Muslim chaplain, um, and then Native American spiritual leaders that don't use the name, the title chaplain, but they're a spiritual leader and they're, they're paid. And, and that may be a, a part-time just depending on the population and, and what mm-hmm. the warden uh, wants them to have. So, 
Do yes. you and they get together every now and then? Yeah, the, most of the facilities require that they have meetings so that they can keep coordinated what they're doing. Uh, they help each other out. It helps them for uh, just administrative or managerial purposes to, to get together as often as possible because they often share facilities. Uh, I, I mentioned Folsom State Prison. I know that uh, Father Gomez has his office right across from the office in the chapel, mm-hmm. uh, the office and chaplains, so they they have to keep their schedules together as far as what times they can use that facility um, for their various programs, whether it's mass or Bible study or, or whatever any particular faith is doing. So yeah, they, they need to coordinate, and also um, a lot of times the services to to the incarcerated there can be quite a bit of overlap. Mm-hmm. Someone uh, be you know he's currently. Muslim, but his family is Catholic, and he wants to talk to a Catholic person, uh, volunteer when, when somebody in the family has died or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yes. Do, do most prisons have just one chapel? Um, it, it varies. Uh, at Folsom State Prison, it, it's an older facility, and they just do have one chapel with various other meeting rooms inside. Um, the Next door at the new Folsom, at the uh, uh, the CSP Sacramento, each of their main yards has a chapel. So A, B, and C yards each have a chapel facility. And that's where the chaplain has the office. So the Catholic chaplain has his office on uh, C yard, for example. And B yard has a couple of offices in their chapel so that they can share. So yeah, and, and that's mostly because the, the incarcerated can't always move between facilities. State prisons, they're on one facility and they can't move the other one. So there, there is a chaplain a chapel chapel there or some space dedicated for that. We're talking with Deacon Bill Geeky, who is the detention ministry coordinator for the Diocese of Sacramento, which is a big, big piece of territory encompassing uh, 20 counties all the way up to the Oregon border and uh, east to the Nevada border and west to the, to the Pacific Ocean. So we got a big, a big territory to cover. Uh, you're going to have some, uh, uh, volunteer leaders training coming up. Yeah, uh, volunteers and leaders. It's not just just uh-huh. the leaders. We try all, all of their volunteers if they can get them. In. Uh, of course, prior to COVID, it was almost always done uh, physically in, in presence. But uh, we we've gotten used to over the recent years to have more of a webinar based online training. So that's what we're going to be doing um, coming up uh, in a week, uh, January twenty second. Mm-hmm. We'll have about a half a day from about. 10 in the morning till two in the afternoon. And we'll, we'll invite them to get online. We have a couple of facilities set that uh, we can have computers set up for those that don't have their own own computers. So for, for instance, our uh, missionary charities, uh, the sisters there, they, they don't have their own computers. So that they'll meet us at the pastoral center and, and be able to view, view the online presentation presentation there. So yeah, we get as many as we, we can uh, involve kind of update, things to talk about. And uh, yeah, so we, we try and do that usually every fall, but it was kind of postponed this year till, till now. So. so is this, is this for, for ongoing or are there people that you're encouraging to sign up for this? Well, we're, we're encouraging our, our I, I keep in touch with uh, over 50 of our, our volunteers and leaders each week, updating them with uh, materials that they can bring in their facility. And they're all invited to, to bring those um, that are probably ready to get in. Those that are in the process. They may not have gone in much uh, yet, but this would be a good training for them too. We're going to be talking about 
specifically this time, the rituals uh, and communion services in prison. So going along with, uh, you know, the fact that we're going through our, our national Eucharistic revival, kind of uh, letting people know about, you know, some good ways. We have a couple of priests that will be offering uh, information and, and, and discussion materials for that. So. Very good. Talk a little bit about the uh, uh, the Catholic Prison Ministry Coalition and some of the people who are involved in that. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, we're actually uh, west uh, here in Northern California. Father George Williams, uh, he's currently the chaplain at San Quentin. Mm-hmm. Uh, started out back east. And he, he, he knew from Massachusetts and, and coming to the, the west coast that uh, a lot of a lot more needed to be done, uh, especially in recent years, get people updated to what they could do for uh, ministry, especially inside prisons. Of course, they do help uh, jail ministries as well. And that coalition that he helped put together, he's, he's currently the board for, uh, chair for that. Uh, they provide a lot of online materials. They provide support, uh, get us connected when we need to have things donated like Bibles or rosaries. Um, just a, it's it's well worth anybody's time to, to look online uh, for that uh, prison ministry coalition, the Catholic Prison Ministry Coalition, because they, they provide a lot of, of service and update. And, uh, and we try and stay involved with them and, and what they can do for us, too. And Sister Prejean, the very well-known, uh, is she's part of that? Yeah, actually, she was the keynote speaker for their recent December conference. They called it Restored by Compassion. So it covered a lot of areas, not just uh, the sacraments, but, but all areas of ministerial uh, help in the facilities. And, and she gave the keynote there in their early December conference. So we're, we actually have a recording of that that we're going to share with, with our folks and, and uh, have them, those that couldn't get online at that time, we'll, we'll share that. And of course, she's, she's been out in this area before speaking with the bishops. And I think people are familiar with her. Also, she's from the same religious order that uh, I think before about we talked about get on the bus that, mm-hmm. that helps families get, uh, get to where they need to visit. And, and that's the same religious order. So they we're familiar with with her work, uh, not only with the death penalty, but just uh, that that religious order that helps in detention ministry. Is get on the bus is is that under the auspices of any diocese, or is that kind of separate from that? I believe they're they're completely separate. Although they have connection with uh, sure. most of the diocese, because that's how they they operate. And actually, they they set up a good model for getting this going. Now the the state. Uh, has a parallel program where they they realize the value of getting getting families close to where they can visit. So uh, uh, inmates, regardless of get on the bus or whatever the program, can sometimes you know, have their families uh, get some kind of support and transportation to to visit. But of course, with get on the bus, it's specifically provided to uh, give a, a real good social support from from what we would you know call a you know, our religious perspective, spiritual perspective, and emotionally helping the families, having people ride on the bus with them and, and provide a place for them to gather and things like that. Yeah, uh, we've followed, get on the bus for a while. I have a daughter who's very interested in that. She's a college student and, and very interested in getting involved in uh, get on the bus as well. And it seems like something that, that would be very, very helpful um, to keep, uh, inmates connected to their families and uh, especially uh, you know when they get out and uh, that they have something to go back to mm-hmm. yeah it's very good it's a good example of a program that a person doesn't a person can volunteer and help with the incarcerate help with detention ministry in a way that they don't 
you know, necessarily have to go into a facility or commit to be inside a facility a lot. There's people that help uh, ride along on the bus with, with right. uh, children that are coming up. There's people that just come in for that day because the, there's there's a lot of support needed for these families on the site or at a local parish where we try and give them a meal ahead of time or afterward or have them have a more comfortable trip. So, yeah, that that's a good example of a program that people can help uh, without having to be full-time inside a facility. Do you do you ever cross at all paths with the the Exodus project, which is relatively new here in the Diocese of Sacramento? We do actually. Uh, our our previous coordinator, uh, consultant, uh, helped uh, Rabbi Seth put that together. Right. Of course, of course uh, with the uh, Saint Vincent de Paul, which it's still under the auspices of Saint Vincent de Paul. Plus, it's it, our our diocese uh, helps support as well. And, and, they, and they're, they're spreading out for, we overlap with them uh, mostly in the case of referrals so that the people that are uh, going to be coming out of a, a county facility, especially within that mm-hmm. six months or so, uh, we can get them in touch with an Exodus uh, person. And um, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but they, they are spreading out now. They were primarily in Sacramento County, but they're now uh, Solano County is, right. is building up to be part of the same program there. You mentioned uh, just in passing about donated Bibles and rosaries and things like that. Is there something our listeners, uh, a way they could participate that way? Is there a need there? Yeah, they, they could uh, contact my office, you know, going through the Dawson website, because there are certain parameters, something we can't take just any rosary, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Some are quite elaborate and right. have a lot of metal or, or what, right. what, what the... Uh, facility might call weapon stock. So yeah, there's particular kinds of rosaries that, that we can uh, send in uh, Bibles um, and some other Catholic materials, catechism, but yeah, there's specifics. They can't be hardcover books in most facilities, right. things like that. So there are things that we can send in, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a matter of knowing what's, what's best to, uh, to donate. Yeah. So they can contact my office and, or, or their local um, Catholic uh, rep. We have a list in the, uh, around the diocese of, of the volunteer reps, and sometimes they can let them know uh, what, what's most specific to their facility. And uh, for those that don't know, the diocese website is very simple, Sacramento Catholic Diocese. It's scd.org, scd.org. So, and and all the ministries are, are listed there and how to contact people, uh, et cetera. Uh, a, a lot happening, obviously. We're in, in the midst of the Eucharistic revival. Talk about that in terms of detention ministry. Well, um, first of all, uh, back when, you know, Bishop encouraged us all to, to get, uh, take part in the Synod by having those discussions. Remember, we had the miracle of the loaves and fishes as a as a scripture to consider. Mm-hmm. We, we had the, uh, the incarcerated uh, joining the same kinds of groups uh, to discuss that and participate in a way that you know supported both not only the synodal process but the Eucharistic revival so um, that piqued a lot of interest with with the incarcerated uh, they do want to participate in the mass when we can have it of course we rarely have it every week except in the uh, in the state prisons where there is a priest um, but a lot of the jails and, and facilities where there's not a, a priest full-time we we have to uh, have uh, our Eucharistic ministers, deacons or others, uh, 
you know, help help provide some experience of it. In fact, that our training coming up, that's what we're we're going to be focusing a lot on that, making sure that there's all the different ways and supports for the Eucharist, uh, whether it's actually you know receiving the Eucharist or or preparing that and. Same with confession. So we, we want people to be prepared in that way, uh, but we're also, you know, doing more. Um, I think I mentioned last time the national uh, pilgrimage that's uh, coming through our area in May. We're going to participate specifically in that and encourage our volunteers to come to that that particular uh, part of the pilgrimage, the procession. So, and how does that relate to say uh, uh, Folsom Prison, the, the 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 national pilgrimage in May? Well, uh, for our diocese, Folsom Prison was chosen as a place where Bishop would have a mass. So uh-huh. uh, listeners might know that on the four days that the pilgrimage is going to cross our diocese, there's teams in each area that the Bishop will either have mass or, or there'll be prayer services supporting such as the homeless, farm worker, um, uh, maternity homes, that sort of thing. But on, on that uh, Thursday in May, the 23rd, Folsom Prison will have a mass. The pilgrims hopefully will be able to come in. We're still working on that clearance, but the perpetual pilgrims um, would be able to participate. Uh, uh, Father Gomez already has uh, Bishop cleared to come in, and we'll make sure that you know, that mass can take place. So those inmates will have a part in this this long uh, perpetual the, the, excuse me the the pilgrimage process. And then uh, as the mass ends, we'll uh, have a part of the pilgrimage come from Folsom Prison and. Uh, uh, take the walk up to uh, St. John the Baptist Parish right up, right up the hills. Oh, sure. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yes. So that'll be a good opportunity. Anybody uh, uh, can can participate in that part of it. Uh, uh, probably best to be dropped off down at the prison because they don't have, have much parking, but uh, then then follow the walk up to the, uh, up to the parish. You talked about how difficult uh, maybe the the clearance process is for people that are maybe considering trying to get involved in this. What how, how much I, I, red tape for a better one of a better word? I know it's it's necessary red tape. I'm sure. Uh, how, how how much of a process is that? Well, it, it varies from the the state prisons. I think have a bigger requirement. So, for instance, I'm just renewing mine because uh, I've been retired for five years, so it's time for me to re- renew my volunteer process. And it's like 30 pages to go through, although a lot of them are just, it's, it's, it's material to read because they want you to be aware of what, what goes on in a prison, especially if a person hasn't been into a prison and, and they need to know how to deal with inmates uh, a lot like an employee because a volunteer in a lot of senses has to do things like an employee would have to do, except we're there for a much more limited time, you know, maybe just an hour or two a week. So there, there's you know, a lot of pages of, of red tape, so to speak. Uh, but similar to going into a, a hospital, they're, they're going to need a, a, a TB test. They need to sit through some orientation. A lot of that can be done online uh, nowadays. So it's it's a process. It's not like you know you can say, oh, I'm going to start this week uh, just because I, I want to start. Uh, it, it might take uh, weeks or, or maybe a, a couple of months to, to get through the process. They have to do the live scan. Uh, and, and know our, our complete background. Um, mm-hmm. If we've had any criminal conviction that has to be reconciled with what you know the warden or the the jail commander you know would want to to allow for uh, within the within their uh, setting. So uh, yeah, it can take a bit, but uh, there's a lot of people that have gone through it, um, and it's just a matter of getting through that part and then uh, getting on the schedule to where you can uh, uh, start coming in regularly. You know, I, I think. The Exodus Project has has 
realize that people who are formerly incarcerated are, can be very, very helpful in what they're trying to do. Are, are they automatically excluded uh, from being doing detention ministry, people who have been incarcerated? Not automatically, but they do have to uh, document that when they're trying to volunteer so that um, whoever the leader of that facility is, whether it's a warden or a jail commander or sheriff's office, um, has to be able to consider, uh, put into consideration what that person um, might be able to do, what environments would be you know, safest for them to be in, uh, would want to put them in a place where they they might have an enemy in the same room right, uh, that's right. still incarcerated. So, so we really want to keep everyone as safe as possible. Um, they want to make sure that the person has, you know, the best motives in mind that they're just there to you know, help with the, you know, the spiritual aspect, for instance, in detention ministry or whatever, uh, whatever volunteering they're doing because, you know, they, they, the, these facilities have to watch out for uh, contraband coming in or, sure, or going sure. out sort of thing. So yeah, it's just a matter of uh, letting, letting that facility know what, what the background is and then uh, whatever adaptation you know, can happen. They might have you know, less chance for independence, such in a prison you have uh, a volunteer that can become a, a level they call brown card, where they're pretty much allowed to come in on their own and run a program on their own. Um, so in some cases, certain background might not be able to get a brown car but they still might be able to come in in a group setting uh, along with you know whatever escort that that takes so a lot of it would be up to the discretion of the the, the local sheriff or or the the warden uh, something like that which which presumably would make a lot of sense because they know their facility yes it's it's what they they're ready for in their facility what kind of security they they can provide in that level whether it's a, a lower level or all the way up to the maximum security so well, it seems as if it must be working pretty well because I, I can't recall, I mean, you probably can, but I can't recall any time when I've heard about anyone who was involved in detention ministry that uh, ca- ended up causing a problem. Yeah, that's true. We, we provide from the, the church standpoint a lot of background, and I depend a lot on our local leaders, uh, a lot of our volunteers to make sure we're you know recruiting the, the best volunteers. Um, usually they're getting a recommendation through their their pastor, somebody at their parish, uh, that they've already been involved in ministry, and they understand um, how important it is to to go in with the right attitude and, and to provide uh, what what is really needed on, from the spiritual support sense. Um, what we can do. So what? I'm sure a lot of people are listening, saying they they wonder, uh, and what services, religious, uh, whether it's counseling, guidance, Holy Mass, the Eucharist, confession, uh, possibly other sacraments. What What is available from the state of California standpoint or the federal constitution standpoint? What is available? And I know it's always evolving with court decisions too. What is available to an inmate who's in, in a state prison uh, from a religious standpoint? Well, the way the law stands... They should be allowed to have any religious service provider that they would get in a parish on the outside as doesn't interfere with safety and security. Uh Um, So, you know, for instance, uh, the Easter vigil service, you know, we like to light a big fire outside of the church. (laughs) And and that that doesn't happen too often that they can have that, you know, kind of an evening. In fact, a lot of them can't be out after dark in their facilities. So we we can't usually have, you know, that, that kind of thing or midnight mass, so to speak. But um, yeah, the, 
So there's some things that, that a facility wouldn't be able to provide enough security for uh, to keep a safe environment. So that, that's what uh, the leadership is going to look at, what, what they can do. Um, I mean, there's, there's places where we can have uh, uh, baptism by immersions. I've, I've had that <laughs> within mm-hmm. mind, but of course, uh, some, some chapels ha- have, a, have the big tub for that, some don't. Um, they, uh, they do allow us to have uh, the wine come in for consecration so that it can be a valid mass, but the inmates cannot participate in that. So it's just the, the priest or if the deacon's assisting them, then they'd be able to, to consume uh, the precious blood. But uh, the inmates will be limited to, to having the consecrated host. So, but of course, uh, well, uh, yeah, in, in, in our faith, uh, either or or both are all yeah, equally acceptable. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. So, so that's what, and then we we explain to the inmates, and then I think that they, you know, come to understand that. Of course, we we do as much as possible have the full RCIA process. It might not look the same as at a parish, but we 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 bring people up to a point where if they're initiating into our, into the faith, they they have a full understanding of that. Uh, that they're going to participate to to the level that that's available. It, Confession, I presume, would that probably be on the same day a priest is coming in to to celebrate Mass? Most likely, uh, although uh, some of the the facilities have a, an on-call availability that if there isn't going to be Mass scheduled soon, um, the uh, the uh, secular uh, leader of religious services might have the phone numbers for some of our local pastors or priests that have been cleared just enough to come in uh, on a, a one-time basis to offer confession in a confidential situation. Of course, they don't have the same kind of confessional setup that we, that we have in the, in a parish, although <laughs> interesting at the, at the state prison I last worked at, they, they called the interview booths confessionals because uh-huh. they were where the psychologists would, uh, would interview people were about the most, right. uh, secure play and and we could use those actually in some cases those those booths were available for us to use for confessions but uh, a quiet place where the person knows they're not going to be overheard or recorded so yeah we provide that so the confirmation is that is that something uh that a person could uh, if somebody wanted to be confirmed had not been confirmed uh could they go through the process necessary to become confirmed Yes, of course we realize that you know that it's up to the bishop's discretion, you know, what, sure. what the preparation they go through. But a lot of times the priests have nailed that, and, and in some cases uh, the bishop is there himself. In fact, uh, I believe at Folsom Prison a few times in recent years, uh, bishop has been able to come for an annual mass, maybe a Christmas mass. In fact, I think I have a picture of bishop bishop when he, he did the confirmation on on Christmas for uh, some of uh, Father Umberto's uh, group there, mm-hmm. and of course. It makes it very special to them that Bishop is actually the one uh, confirming them. Uh, and, and, yeah, we want to be able to provide that because uh, whether they're going to be there a long time and, and, and need that support of being fully initiated or, or if they're going to be going out and maybe have the opportunity to have a, a Catholic marriage on the outside, mm-hmm. then they've already got their confirmation, so it can really help. We do, we do hear about, you know, inmates getting married. Uh, it, it, how, did, how does that take place? Is it... Is it always outside the, the prison? Well, uh, prisons and, and jails, uh, usually if they're going to allow marriages, um, they, they provide uh, some environment that that can happen, like, such as uh, in conjunction with the visiting area. Um, 
our Catholic clergy don't often take part of that because, of course, we have the extra considerations, people going through pre-Cana and other things. So right. having a um, Catholic uh, matrimony is, is much more difficult. You know, probably wouldn't happen. But um, in most cases, I can speak uh, from when I was working as chaplain at uh, CSP Sacramento, the, the state, uh, our administrative office would contract with people from the county to come in and provide uh, more of a, a civil uh, marriage uh, service for them. They're welcome to, you know, speak to the chaplains uh, about having their marriage blessed uh, in another context, if that can happen. But uh, those marriages are, are normally a, considered a civil marriage that someone comes in and performs mm -hmm. uh, whatever witnessing duties of the, the state or county that they need to do. Right. So Inmates who are sick, are, are, do most prisons have their own, I mean, they probably have their own infirmaries, but do they have their, actually own, their own hospital beds, things like that, people that are chronically sick, maybe even uh, terminally ill, um, and, and how do you minister to them? Well, th those clinics, of course, are usually uh, in, a, in a special part, in a more separated part of the facility, so our, our volunteers, usually the the chaplains or, or those with the most experience are allowed to go into those areas, just like, you know, we would send people to the hospital to, to minister. So within limits, they can bring communion um, to those, those clinical areas. And then there are of course, state facilities. If someone is, is uh, very ill, they may have to go to the, say the CMF, the medical facility in, mm -hmm. in uh, Vacaville or Stockton, there's the, the state prison. Yeah, there, there's a hospital down in, in Stockton now that, that some of the more critically ill go. Um, yeah, so 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 it happens, and we provide ministry to what we can can do up to well in CMF they have special ministry for hospice, so some of our volunteers have been involved with that. Um, so yeah, it's it's a matter of the the, uh, the volunteers or or the the paid staff uh, for these services to be on top of what needs there are, what requests there are in the clinical areas, so that we can going in and uh, support the people there too. We're talking with Deacon Bill Geke, who is the uh, uh, detention minister coordinator here for the Diocese of, of Sacramento and in the Office of Catholic Charities and Social Concerns. Uh, Deacon, any, anything I didn't ask you that you'd like, uh, like to share with our listeners? Well, um, we did talk a little bit about volunteers and yeah. preparing like that but uh actually we uh this next summer it will be the time when our our current deacon candidates as, as you know they're going through their their four-year preparation and uh right. usually about the second year of that they they move into prison ministry or detention ministry as, as a practicum they've, they've been doing hospital ministry as a practicum uh currently so a lot of them are or you know, learning how the visitation to the hospitals go. Well, next year, uh, well, actually starting this summer, we'll get them cleared so that their class of, um, uh, I believe there's 12 or 14, but anyway, and, and their wives are invited to, to to go through the processes to learn uh, this ministry for, for a year. We, we realize it's limited, um, and you know, some of them might stay on afterward, but at least while they're preparing for the diaconate, uh, as candidates, they can come in, go through the security clearances, um, learn about what schedules they can they can have, and uh, they may not be completely independent by the time they finish their year, but they'll, they'll learn enough about the ministry. So hopefully after ordination, they can come back and, and help us out so, some more. Very good. Well, uh, greatly appreciate uh, you taking the time to be with us today, and 
Uh, thanks for thanks for all the great work you do. I know it's a it's really a, a critical and important ministry in the here in the diocese of Sacramento. Well, thank you, Bob. We appreciate being able to help get the word out and, and, and like listening to all the interviews you do because we we always learn so much uh, as we we share around these ministries. Oh, thanks so much, Deacon. God bless, and uh, I hope our paths cross again soon. Okay, you take care. Thanks Have a good so Sunday. Much. You too. That's uh, Deacon Bill Gakey again. The uh, uh, you go to go to the diocese if you want to learn more about prison ministry. Uh, go to scd.org. That's Sacramento Catholic Diocese. Scd.org. We had a chance to uh, sit down and uh, talk with uh, Eva Montaigne, who is the uh, one of the coordinators of the Walk for Life coming up a little bit later this month in San Francisco. Uh, and we, we are going to bring you that interview now. In Eva Montaigne, who, who is going to tell us all about the 20th annual Walk for Life in San Francisco coming up in January. Eva, good day to you. Hello there. How are you? Doing great. It's been probably just about a year since we've talked or somewhere in that. In that <laughs> yes, in that, we do talk. About we, need, we need to find other things to talk about, and we'll have you on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can talk about Ignatius Press. Well, you you know we just had uh, 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 Vivian Dudra on, uh, who's an editor at uh, Ignatius Press and an author. And uh, yes, just, no, she's here right now. Oh, is it? Yeah, <laughs> just love all the. Uh, you work there as well. Yes, I work at Ignatius Press. I've been here for thirty years, and uh, Ignatius Press has been a huge support of the Walk for Life. I don't think we could. Yeah. do the walk without the support of Ignatius, you know, let alone do I work here and they give me the leeway to work on the walk. Um, but, you know, they support me in so many ways. So yeah, the walk goes a lot to Ignatius Press. Oh, it's, that's, that's great to know. And, and uh, we, we uh, frequently will bring on authors or once in a while we bring on Vivian to, to uh, tell us about something she has edited. We just had her on about a book that she co-authored and uh, uh, just, and once in a while, we're lucky we get Father Fessio on and uh, um, <laughs> the king, yeah. and the, the man. And, uh, the um, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just so many wonderful titles and such diversity of titles. You know, I, yes, of I'm, course, I'm, it's a lot of work. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I remember we had uh, Monsignor Jim Murphy from here in the Diocese of Sacramento, to, and he had had a book through Ignatius on the Cristero Wars in Mexico, you know, and yeah. just fascinating book, you know. Just, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we have a lot of good books like that, so it's, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Well, tell us about the Walk for Life and uh, the 20th Annual. Wow. I know. Can you believe it? It just, it just seems like we just started it. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are 20 years later and uh, wishing that we didn't have to have it, but um, feel, feel the need that, um, that it's needed, especially here in California. So yeah, we're planning um, some special, um, special things for the families and the kids that come uh, for the first time. We'll have the playground open at Civic Center Plaza uh, finally talked the city into letting us uh, let the kids in there because we get so many families, which is just so wonderful. And we invite all families to join us. And um, so we have that and we'll have face painting and we'll we'll try to make it joyous in the sense that we have been some great wins in the pro-life movement. And then, of course, we'll have the walk where we focus on what we can still be doing. 
Uh, explain the walk it goes from from Civic Center Plaza through what down Market Street. It, yes, we, the rally starts at twelve thirty at Civic Center Plaza. Um, there's four great speakers um, that will be joining us, and then at one thirty we start walking down from Civic Center Plaza down Market Street to the Ferry Building to uh -huh. Embarcadero Plaza, and um, can I just tell you real quick who the speakers are? Sure, that'd be wonderful. I know because it's, we're quite excited because, um, you know, Lila Rose will be joining us. Now, she has spoken at the walk before, but we're so excited to have her back again. She's such a powerful figure in the pro-life movement with right. live action. And right. um, we have another person who I'm uh, excited to, to introduce to the pro-life movement, especially out here on the West Coast. She lives in Florida. Her name is Kaya Jones. And she was the one of the original members of the Pussycat Dolls, the music group. And she's had three abortions. And her story is just amazing and fascinating and sad and 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 profound. And I mean, just so many words to use on her story. So we're so looking forward to her sharing her story with us. And then we have Kimberly Henkel, and she's going to be talking about fostering and adoptions. Um, she'll be the hit there with her family. She has a powerful message also. And then, of course, our standby, Reverend Childress, who's with us almost every single year. <laughs> I was going to ask. Always he has to be the there. Crowds. <laughs> yes, he's wonderful. So he'll be joining us again, for, of course, for our 20th anniversary. Is he still back in New Jersey? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So he'll be coming out with his wife, Regina, and just like every year, and they're, they're a staple now. They, they, we, it would be so strange not to have them with us. So we're very excited to have him back. Well, you know, we we usually interview him around this time of year, and um, I always say to Gabe, our producer, I, that uh, we don't we don't need a phone hookup. You just have him talk from <laughs> New Jersey, and I'm sure everybody will be able to hear him. <laughs> He's amazing. I mean, he and and he just has he has so much knowledge and so much passion, and I just I, we just love him. Yeah, he he, uh, he wouldn't miss it. I know that. I know. Yeah, he always looks forward to it too. I think it's a mu mutual love. Um, he, he likes coming out here and being with us. So so yeah. So those are some great speakers, and we are so excited to share their stories and. We would love to have people join us. We have an info fair before, just like every year. We have some great organizations that will be there. We have some um, pro-life books for adults and children that we'll be giving away for free at the info fair for, while supplies last. I want to make sure to put that in there. Uh, we have a couple hundred of each, and we're, we'd love to give them out to families and to people who want to learn more about the pro-life movement. So we'll be doing that. Uh, like I mentioned before, we're going to have some uh, little things for for the children, you know, like the playground and face painting and things like that. We, we were going to try to make it really um, joyous in, for the children, and then we'll get into the rally where we hear the meat of the pro-life message. A great number of people come with buses, and I always recommend if your parish or maybe a nearby parish uh, come, you know, get on get on the bus because. There's there's strength in numbers. There's camaraderie in numbers. Uh, there's a, you know it, it's always a, a spirit filled and all and really fun filled. It's a joyous occasion uh, to be on the bus with uh, people of a like mind and a like cause. But uh, there is a lot of parking right under Civic Center Plaza as well, and uh, yes, um, it's always 
it seems like there's always there's always room there, and it's uh, uh, it's it's an easy ride from just about. Although you you get people coming from Bakersfield, you get people coming from Reno. You uh, seeing some yes, of these youth groups ar- arrive is just uh, always uh, fascinating. It is amazing. I mean, we've got, we've already have people from Arizona coming. And like you mentioned, Reno, we have several from Fresno, several, lots of buses from Fresno. So yes, we do get people from all over. And that's why we're called Walk for Life West Coast, because we, we want everybody to come and and enjoy the, not alone enjoy the event, uh, enjoy, that might be the wrong word, but um but the, but you can enjoy the city, you know, you can make right. a weekend of it, come and, uh, come and enjoy San Francisco and, uh, it's such a beautiful city. I know it's oh, it got is. a it bad is. reputation, but, <laughs> but it is beautiful. There's no, there's no denying that the city is just gorgeous. And, um, and yeah, so please come and join us. It'd be wonderful to have everyone. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's, uh, growing up in Northern California, I think I sort of took San Francisco for granted, uh, one of my older sisters, she couldn't wait to move there. You know, it's like, but it, internationally, that you, you talk to people that are going to travel to the United States, it's like one of the top, if not the top destination. They got to see San Francisco. I know it's 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 amazing. Even when I was a little child, you know, living in Indiana, I always wanted to live in San Francisco, yep, even yep. though I'd never been here. <laughs> but I just, I just, there was something about the draw of San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it is it's it's a spectacular city, and uh, those two great bridges connecting it, and uh, yeah, exactly. And and you know, we have to. A lot of people are moving from California and even from San Francisco, but at the same time, it's good that uh, the people of faith stay here. You know, we have to we have to keep uh, keep up the fight and 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 show that we're still here. Because if, if you listen to the news, you would never know that there was a pro-life contingent in, in San Francisco and in California. So, so it's, it's very important. It's a very important event for, for showing that we exist here. If, if we can exist here, we can exist anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, it's, it's a city named after St. Francis. I mean, how much better can you do? Exactly. We pray to St. Francis all the time. Yep. Yep. Very good. Well, and there's no, there's no signups, uh, nothing like that. You just, uh, just come. It's, it's uh, Civic well, Plaza. We, yeah, there's a registration form on the website, but it's not mandatory. Right. It's just suggested because then you get updated information about what's right. happening. And, and, and also I wanted to mention that if um, people that are listening from out of town, there is a, a tab on our website uh, where it says need a ride. And that gives you the list of buses that have spaces and where they're coming from. And then you're able to contact that bus captain and register to be on that bus. So even so if you don't want to drive or, you know, you can't drive, um, just check that out and see if there's a bus coming from your area. Very good. And what's the website? Walkforlifewc.com. Very good. Very good. And. Again, the rally starts at twelve thirty, but you can come come earlier, and uh, there is the info fair, and, uh, uh, and yeah, and there's the silent no more. Silent no right. more has their their event before our rally. Where there's some great testimonials there too, and then we have the info fair open. The playground will be open. Lots of things going on ahead of the rally, so come join us. And eleven o'clock would be perfect because then that gives you time to check out everything and. And before the rally starts. And it never rains in San Francisco 
<laughs> on the 20th of January. <laughs> I know. I think we've had rain one year one time, and it was one very time, brief. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it was brief. It, it ended. So, yeah. But it's been amazing how the weather has been with us every every year. It seems like we have good weather. Yep. Indeed. Well, Eva, thanks for all your great work on this. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the 20th of January. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrusites. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of Ministry of Mi Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, they continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. 
We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. And we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, long-standing support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates.
Shine.